Uh, this episode of Bat Chat is brought to you by the Gotham City Morgue. The Gotham City Morgue, where death delights to help the living. The Gotham City Morgue. Matt Laswitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, the Batman Ranking Podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, what is going on tonight? Duh, it's, it's good to be back. Like I said last time, you good listeners won't know any difference here, but we took a week off in recording. And it's uh, it's weird. Yeah, it, it is. But I, you know, last Wednesday night, Amber and I had to go to Carvana to get her new car. We got to see it, you know, move through the like giant car vending machine. She was given a coin, not quite the size of a small dinner plate, but, but pretty pretty substantial. Uh, a certain villain who likes coins would would have been absolutely fascinated by it. And she got to drop it into the vending machine and we got to watch the car, you know, move and be turned around. And, you know, we've had the car for a week now and she is very happy with it. So nice. Yeah. God, I'm lousy with cars. It's it's a Hyundai, a Hyundai Kona. That's what it is. A Hyundai Kona. Ah, that that sounds a lot cooler than driving 12 hours to get a car, which is what I did with mine. This was this was pretty easy. It just, you know, right into Philly. Two blocks from a restaurant that we go to for, you know, meetups and, you know, we got our, got the car and then, you know, wound up hanging out with people that night for a little while before going home. It actually worked out pretty well for us. Uh, that's but, nice. Um, yeah. Another thing that's, uh, that's relevant to both you and the listeners. I got a new keyboard here for the studio that I specifically found by Googling loudest mechanical keyboards. <laughs> So everyone will know when you're updating your list. Clickety clack, motherfuckers. <laughs> clickety clack. Then I think it's time for us to get on to some clickety clack. Because tonight, tonight, everybody, this is the one that I've been waiting for. Uh, I, I, I've been uh, waiting. This is Matt's episode. I've been waiting for this one since episode one. Because if you know, the, the scheduling gods are, are with us and the shipping gods are with us. Uh, the, his new series should be debuting the week that this episode drops. So we are looking at three stories starring my favorite character in all of comics, second only to Batman himself, my favorite Robin. It's Tim Drake time. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Pew, 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 pew. I'm excited for this one. But so... We're starting off with probably the best place to start. The first Tim Drake story, A Lonely Place of Dying. This is Batman Volume 1, numbers 440 to 442, and New Titans, numbers 60 to 61. The writers are Marv Wolfman and George Perez, with pencils by Jim Aparo, George Perez, and Tom Grummet. Inks by Mike DiCarlo and Bob McLeod. Colors by Adrian Roy. Letters by John Costanza. Edited by Denny O'Neill, Dan Raspler, Jonathan Peterson, and Mike Carlin. Cover dates are October to December of 1989. 
The death of Jason Todd has caused Batman to take greater and greater risks. As the Dark Knight nears a breaking point, Tim Drake, a teenager who's deduced his identity, seeks out Dick Grayson to get him to return to Gotham to help save Batman. But with Two-Face on the prowl for him, will this be all too late? Ooh, that was some good shit. (laughs) Thank you. Before we get into the story, just as a little shout out to another podcast and a podcast that I appeared on, uh, one of my favorite comic related podcasts, Tighten Up the Defense, which alternates between issues of the new Teen Titans slash New Titans and the Defenders, finished The Lonely Place of Dying a few months ago. And I guested on the episode that featured the middle chapter of this, the Batmans here, Batman 441. Uh, I'll put a link to that podcast on the show notes. Titan of the Defense is a great show. Hub, the host, is a great guy. And we've talked, and someday we're hoping to get him on here to talk some Bob Haney, Brave and the Bolds. Uh, If you want to listen to that, I will provide a link for you all. But to the story itself, uh, yeah, this is the first Tim Drake story. Short of his cameo in Batman Year Three, a story we did ages ago that was right before A Lonely Place of Dying. It was the last story before this one. So there we see some things that we get from a different angle in this story when we see Tim's origin. And there we saw it from Dick's point of view as his parents died. Here we see it from Tim's point of view out in the audience at Haley's Circus. Yeah, and if you know what's coming, you know, reading this in 2022, all of these pieces do fit together and make sense. But this had to be nice little Easter eggs for people who went back to that after just having read this. It's like, oh, I see what they were doing back then. Marv Wolfman, when he's firing on all cylinders, can lay out stuff. because he, he was one of those guys who plotted things out in advance. Uh, he didn't always stick the landing, but then again, neither did Chris Claremont. So wah, wah. writers of that era, you know, they did their best. Writers of this era do their best, but most of them don't. Hey, let's uh, let, let's talk some shit real quick. So this is an open secret in uh, in comics book journalism, comic bo- comics books journalism. Uh, but anyway, Scott Snyder loves to slide up in them DMs, loves it. Uh, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he used to be like really, really bad about it. And I remember making a comment at some point that Scott Snyder had a similar problem uh, in sticking the landings and he, sl- he slid it in my DMs. It's like, hey, I'm sorry about that or, or whatever. Or he made some kind of joke and I was like, uh, okay, uh, this is really awkward because you're Scott Snyder and I'm just schmuckles the clown. <laughs> but um, yeah, in game kind of sucked. Only time anybody ever slipped into my DMs was Ed Brubaker, just to correct a point I made in a review of his Fatal, that he, one of his books, no, not Fatal, Kill or Be Killed, one of his books with Sean Phillips. Uh, I attributed the painted art on some pages to the, the paint, the colors, to colorist Elizabeth Brightweiser, but Phillips actually painted all of those pages himself. And he said, review's great. Just wanted to let you know. And I was like, oh, absolutely. I will change that right away, Ed Brubaker. Uh, Elizabeth Brightweiser, I'll never forget you. For, uh, forgive you for cold days. Oh, yes. the savage. Anyway, 
<laughs> but yes, back to this story. This is a really good introduction to Tim Drake. And such a delightful little hint of mystery there in the very first issue. You, you never see him until a couple of uh, issues in. I, I love just getting those like, you know, he's just taking these pictures like what the what the hell's going on here? He, he's stalking the Titans, basically. You know, he's, he's photographing Batman. Then he's watching all the Titans trying to find Nightwing. It's like you don't know it's a kid at this point. You just know it's somebody the, the hints that it's a kid occasionally come from the, the for want of a better term camera angles the the fact that the it's sort of shot up looking at starfire and granted starfire is tall to begin with but it's almost like obviously that someone is looking up at her face so it's like okay this is someone who's short which is a nice touch from jim aparo i mean he's jim aparo the art and you know we we're we're story guys we know this we do our best to remember to comment on the art but we don't always succeed but oh oh, i got thoughts about the art coming up for some of our stories later okay me i got thoughts yeah i i I think you do and i think i might now understand where you're coming from on them having (laughs) reread but in this case you've got you know aparo who is the sort of quintessential batman artist of the 70s and 80s you've got george perez who's a god and tom grummet who was sort of just coming up at this point but was working with perez on titans the art on this is stellar it's just really solid really nice looking superhero art with great facial expressions really detailed without getting lost in the details and just i really like this story with all of its campiness and there especially when it comes to harvey oh boy this is still the everything's about the number two harvey i am glad we've moved past that because i don't think he could ever be a modern member of the rogues gallery if he's still doing this nonsense now it's about you know the balance and the coin and the sort of split personality and justice versus crime and you get bits of that but it's not all about the number two in the same way the penguin isn't only committing bird crimes and catwoman isn't only doing cat crimes it it now becomes more a motif than an obsession and that's it works better and I think if you're still going to do the shtick, the third issue here does the shtick as good as it can be done with the the parallel stories, Batman basically trying to outthink Two-Face, Two-Face trying to lure in Batman, but then also like, God, I really want the loot. I want the loot so bad. And then doing the, the, the again, the, the split stories there. Uh, like I said, you're doing it as good as you can do it. I like there that you you say it every time we talk about Two-Face, but he again gets caught up in the minutia and has to flip the damn coin. Smash, grab, smash, grab, smash, grab. You know, it's like you've already committed the crime. You should have flipped the coin before you went in to determine whether you were going to gas everybody in the casino. Uh, unless he did and then has to flip it again to see if he walks out with the money. 
that seems like excessive coin flipping. An efficient two-face would do all the flips at home, right? You just, you get them all done. Like, all right, am I going to go knock over the casino? Okay. Uh, Am I going to murder everyone there? Okay. Am I going to go give the loot to charity when I'm done? Okay. Am I going to crank one out when I get home? There you go. We're, we're talking to Tim Drake here. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's steer into the, the, the Tim Drake-ness of this story. The origin of Tim Drake is so elegant. It is such a perfect superhero sidekick origin. He is the fan that made good. One of two who really fit that, the other being Wally West, who was you know, president of the Flash fan club before he became Kid Flash. But this shows what type of Robin Tim is. Tim is the brain. Tim is the brain as Robin from story one, page one. He's the guy who figured out that Batman was Bruce Wayne by observation and deduction. And a little reverse engineering. A little bit. And I understand that Tim as a character, especially in some of these earliest stories, can maybe come off as a little too goody-goody. That it's a bit of a reaction to Jason Todd. That Tim is really kind of, gosh, gee, I'm going to, you know, help Batman and Nightwing. But I mean, that that fades pretty quickly, but it also works with the way the character is established. There is probably not a character I loathe more in all of science fiction, comics, fandom, whatever, whatever you can call to mind uh, than Wesley Crusher. You know, I, I say Damien is Wesley Crusher with a bad attitude, but at least Damien is, I don't know, good for a laugh um good for just kind of being a sarcastic just evil little shit sometimes he, he can be enjoyable uh wesley crusher trying to go back and watch some of the first season episodes of next gen he just kills it he just and it's look it's not will wheaton's fault i find will wheaton to be kind of insufferable but you know he did his best as a teen actor and he had to work with the material that was given to him anyway tim drake is not wesley crusher These stories are not set up for Tim Drake to win the day. He does not come in and rescue, uh, you know, the equivalent of the enterprise. Like he is not the smartest, best, greatest, strongest, anything in the room. He is very smart, but he also has some humility. He also says like, look, I don't know everything yet. I'm just. I'm just here. I'd like to hang out. And if Dick would just go back to being Robin, I can just go home. Right. Uh, I'll just go home and be fine. That is 100% not Wesley Crusher and makes me want to just punch the character in the face uh, until I can't feel my hands anymore. Um, So no, I don't mind any of the youthful exuberance slash fresh heroism here. This is, this is good stuff. We will someday get to the new 52 origin of tim drake that is the wesley crusher tim drake he is insufferable and in the new 52 they give tim's clever deduction of batman's identity 
to Nightwing, to Dick. Dick sees the way Batman moves and he deduces that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Well, that's dumb. Yeah. Tim, on the other hand, is this insufferable kid genius slash gymnast. He's this like, you know, he's like an Olympic level gymnast and a genius who wants to be Robin. So he goes out and figures it out and Bruce, you know, denies it. And then to prove that he's good enough to be Robin, he hacks the penguin and steals a shit ton of his money. Well, I'm guessing um, one of our stories tonight basically fixes all of that. It does. That is one of the reasons. Oh, does it ever. That origin disappears. We're going to do an episode where we do the Nightwing Zero, Red Hood and the Outlaw Zero, and Teen Titans Zero from the New 52, the origins of the three Robins. Those three Robins. Uh, that sounds like a bad time, Matt. It's going to be, you know... We need some stuff to put towards the bottom of the list again because we've been winding up in the upper, in the middle and up a lot lately. We, we need some uh, stuff to go down low. And that, that sounds like be- such a bad time. But you know what? They're, one, they're each one-offs. It's not like we're, we've got to read six bad issues each story. It's three bad comics for the episode. And But not- if, it's, if it's an issue that feels like three... Uh. and not uh the batman robin zero damien one which actually has one of the most adorable panels of all time uh the the one time when damien would qualify as cute but he's also like toddler damien and hasn't been indoctrinated yet so (laughs) look mommy i'm a bat i will say no more one thing about this story that or this series of issues that is a little bit strange to me the, the Teen Titans really don't do much here. Like they're not at no. all in the the first issue of the New Titans. That's they have a cameo, but that's basically just a hey, Dick is at the circus solving a mystery story. It's it's a, a Nightwing one off, and then in the second one, Batman sends a cryptic message that they have to bring to Nightwing to have him figure out, and that's it. It's not really a Titans Batman crossover. It's a Nightwing is one of the main characters in New Titans. Batman is, you know, super popular while the Titans aren't quite as hot as they were in the early 80s. So let's, you know, do a crossover since Marv Wolfman is writing both books to get a little bit of buzz behind Titans. This is right around Batmania. This is right around 89. Yeah, the um, that second issue, the when he goes to the circus, uh, you're right that the, the Titans are, are barely there at all. I, I suppose at the time there wasn't an ongoing Nightwing solo book. He was just a member of the Titans. It's a really fun issue. It's oh, a- I loved it. Yeah, it's a great comic, but it's you know you kind of wish they had either done this as a bi-weekly you know done batman bi-weekly for five issues and let the batman stuff breathe a little more without having to shoehorn the titans into that last part for half the issue where they're just going boy where's nightwing let's try to find Hmm. nightwing yeah what's he up to or found a way to make the titans more integral to the story one of the other weird things also for this one that last page reveal of the story it's like, huh, 
So the mastermind behind this wasn't Two-Face. That voice on the radio that Two-Face has been yelling at all along isn't Harvey just having a psychotic break. The Joker is fucking with him? This would be the Joker's first real appearance since a death in the family. This is him still recovering from a death in the family. Kind of makes you feel bad for Harvey, right? <laughs> yeah. Harvey d- does not fare well in this story. The Joker is playing him. He's sort of, ha- he is having a break, but it's mostly because the Joker's screwing with him. And he's not terribly successful. I mean, yes, he, he I guess he is successful in that he eventually traps Batman and Nightwing in the exploded house. But his plots in issues one and three of this don't really go off very well for him. That damn coin never comes up the way he needs it to. Uh, there's there's never quite the, the satisfaction in a Harvey story as when Batman just like rigs the coin. Speaking of rigged coins, did you uh, hear the news that we will be getting a second season of uh, Audio Adventure? What? Yep. I did not hear that news. It was announced yesterday. For those of you out there who either have or haven't listened, haven't joined our Patreon, and you really should because we, we have many things we want to do. One of the episodes we did was Batman the Audio Adventure, which is now all of season one is now available for free. And yesterday it was announced that audio adventure season two is on the way for HBO max this fall. No specific date yet, but we will be getting a second season around the same time that the comic tie in drops. That's magical, Matt of, of all the content that they're cutting, they leave the weirdest fucking thing imaginable. Oh, you, you gosh darn discovery executives. I don't know, man. That's a good Harvey in that. Speaking of Harvey. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do it up for, uh, for a bonus episode. Uh, one of these, uh, one of these months. Absolutely. Alfred. God, I love Alfred. We get a lot of good, good Alfred in all three of these stories, but. Oh, Hey, we're close. We're close to the return. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you got any other notes here? I have I have seen those teasers. I don't think so. So that means it's time to put a lonely place of dying on the big board. Okay. We currently have on our big board 159 stories. Number one is Batman Year One. Down at number 30 is Blink from Legend of the Dark Knight, numbers 156 to 160, 158. Number 60 is Half an Evil, Batman Volume 1, number 234, where we once again remind Harvey, smash and grab. Coming in at number 69, it's Batman Year 3. That, that, that kind of works out, both, you know, Half an Evil and Year 3. Down at number 90. I know, right? Yeah. Is Sisters in Arms, uh, Batman numbers 461 to 462. Down at 120 is 
The Little Red Book from Batman Adventures, Volume 1, Number 9. 150 is The Last Batman Story, question mark, from Batman Volume 1, Number 300. And down at the bottom, at 159, is Batman White Knight. Boo. So, let's start with... Oh, so number at number 35 right now is Identity Crisis, uh, Batman Volume 1, 455 to 457, where Tim officially becomes Robin, where he gets his own suit, where he defeats the Scarecrow. Better or worse than that? This is the emotional origin story, if it's not the actual origin story. I think it's better. Yeah, I think this right? is we're not we're not revisiting this the the uh, I, we're not revisiting identity crisis. No, not that one. Thirty years later, true. But this one this establishes who Tim Drake is really well in one story. It's a really strong introduction. I but I don't think it goes much higher because up at thirty two is the last Arkham. And I think this is not quite as strong in general as the last Arkham or that doesn't wander as much. Again, those Titans issues are fun, but this story could have been tightened up and could have been done in probably four issues if we wanted to. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The Batman issues are the strongest as is the trip to the circus. And none of that has anything to do with the Titans, as we've talked about. So, yeah, that gives us a pretty tight window. Yeah. I mean, Golem of Gotham is resonant. That's yeah. a powerful two issues. And it speaks to a lot of really heady themes. As much as I like Gothic below that, Grant Morrison's Legends of the Dark Knight arc with Klaus Janssen, I think this is probably stronger. This is less weird. This is a little less problematic with some of that weird British school stuff in Gotham stuff that we get there. So weird. Yeah. So I think this is going to be our new number 34. You know, while we were not recording, I think I took acid or had some kind of fever dream. And I like imagine this Riddler story where his dad was like this demanding headmaster and he was like uh, mercilessly whipped and, and beaten. Uh, and his mom was like a, a prostitute. And uh, it, there was like this teacher who was like trying to save him and get him to relax and 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 wanted him to like get into riddles and stuff and then he just beat him to death it was fucking weird matt yeah well, that that story sounds like something that is going to wind up pretty damn low on this list if it's real couldn't be real no anyway yeah uh on to our second story our second story of the night is shadow box this is batman volume one numbers 467 to 469 the writer is Chuck Dixon. The pencils are by Tom Lyle, with inks by Andy Mashinsky, colors by Adrian Roy, letters by Todd Klein, and edited by Denny O'Neill and Kelly Puckett. The cover dates are August to September of 1991. Tim Drake, recently returned from his training around the world, 
finds that trip coming back to haunt him as the Ghost Dragons, a Hong Kong gang he ran afoul of, and their leader, the martial artist King Snake, are now in Gotham, with their sights not just set on the city, but on Robin himself. Uh, standard problematic creator watch. Chuck Dixon, right-wing whack job, not a good dude. Piece of shit. Comes out just a pinch in this story, uh, where he talks about the, the politics of communist China and uh, handing over are the British handing over control of Hong Kong. And I got a real sour note where he talks about Batman says, uh, we're going to be invaded uh, by these Asian kings. Yeah, bad, bad call. He uses the word Oriental at least once, if not multiple times. And the code of silence, Chinatown stuff, while it is one of these things that Hornzak Pichet used in his recent excellent series, The Good Asian. But again, there's something about someone of that heritage writing these stories versus Chuck Dixon. Also, if we're going to stick with some problematic stuff going on here, is this the worst Jim Gordon you've ever read? Hmm. What particularly set you off here? He's just such a stereotypical cop he is angry at the press for just asking him questions he's you know basically you know don't you don't say the phrase martial law just do it he's kind of judge dready he is is, which is not jim gordon i am the law uh i want to ring around chinatown don't ask questions uh if you want to ask questions i can give you a transfer to uh some place in the middle of nowhere This is Dixon's first story in a Batman proper title. The only Batman story, Batman related story he had done before this was the first Robin miniseries that this is a direct sequel to. All of the events talked about here between Robin and King Snake and Lady Shiva, that is Robin volume one. So we're, we're dealing with, Dixon sort of circling back to that. And it, it's dropped right into the core Batman title two issues after Tim rejoined the book after that miniseries. Tim's first issue as Batman's partner, full partner Robin, is 465. So we're, we're early in, very early in Tim's time as Robin. As you can see in numerous elements in this story, with Bruce's overprotective nature. You know, it's interesting how, you know, through the 80s and, and 90s, I suppose, the writers had this constant, I don't I wouldn't say obsession, but maybe preoccupation with what's what's Robin doing. We got to give Batman a Robin. People are going to be concerned with Robin. When's the last time like Robin had a major presence in a bat book? Like I don't mean like Detective Comics or Batman. The Morrison era where Batman and Robin was the flagship book because that's the book they were writing. Probably then. But before that, when Tim gets his own ongoing, he shows up in sort of Bat family stories, but he's not 
as much of a fixture as he is before that. Like around this time, this is when Tim is a fixture in Batman. But then right at night quest, right after nightfall, he gets the Robin ongoing. And that's where all of the important Tim Drake stuff happens. Also, is the, did you find the Batman narration in this odd? It's so rare to get Batman sort of omnisciently narrating a story like this. There's, I feel like there's so much of Dixon in this, at least in terms of his politics and his views, like the scum coming into my city and their filth and crime and rah. It's really heavy, but I'll say this and I'm kind of hated myself for it. I like this story. I like the story as something a little bit more grounded. I like Batman dealing with street gangs and guns and drugs rather than the latest crazy costume villain or existential threat to Gotham. Yeah, and Doran's the Kingsnake is a decent bat rogue. He'll show up on and off for many years to come. And he has a substantial tie to another bat rogue that we don't know about at this point, but that was apparently something Dixon had planned all along as he introduced, he created both of those characters. But I like that Tim in this story really does his best to follow Bruce's dictates until Bruce is being foolish, where Bruce is giving in to the fear that he's going to lose Tim the way he lost Jason. And then Tim has to disobey because if he didn't, he knows Bruce is going to get himself hurt. I will say there's a very weird note and I rarely, you know, read verbatim from these comics, but there's a bit at the bottom of page 16 of issue two. Tim says, I used to worry that you'd be too concerned for my safety to be effective out there, that you were actually better off on your own. But look at you. You can hardly lift your arms. You're reckless without me. As long as you're looking out for me, you're thinking of yourself. You need me there to keep your feet on the ground and watch your back. That first bit where I used to worry that you'd be, uh, not that, that you were actually better off on your own, that's patently not true the whole point of a lonely place of dying is that tim knows batman is better off with a robin yeah why don't you just contradict the central thesis of that whole goddamn story sure it's it's one line of dialogue but it really threw me especially after reading it right after rereading lonely place of dying another one of the kind of problematic bits here is dorance's uh second links is such a dragon lady stereotype. She's just this stereotypical female Asian villain. Yeah, it, it's kind of uncomfortable. And by kind of, I mean, very. At least we can be thankful that Kingsnake did not steer all the way into as many you know stereotypes as it could. He is a blind martial arts master, but he's white. Yes. So this thing could have been much worse. Yeah. 
although it's that always is it worse to have him be the asian stereotype or is it worse to have him as the white the white guy who's better than every asian person who's you know born into this culture thing neither are a good look neither are a good look cultural appropriation as a villain is it a bad thing this made me want to go back and reread that original robin miniseries because i remember i mean king snake there as they made clear is someone who had drawn the attention of lady shiva who you know goes around and fights the deadliest martial artists in the world and if dorance hadn't sort of cheated by you know running batman through a, a gauntlet of his henchmen and then blinding him and having him trip and fall down a flight of stairs before he fought him batman beats king snake pretty handily and with little trouble with that level of fight it didn't seem like batman really would have had too much of a trouble with him at all uh king snake is he supernatural no he's just a dude who's you know a well-trained martial artist uh who's also blind yes yeah, yeah i think batman beats him pretty easily yeah i think this is also by the way the first actual use of the the weighted points on the bottom of the cape as a weapon which is something that's been used pretty regularly since but here is you know the first time that he actually uses the that to you know hit somebody in the face and you see this was this was news to me i did not know the cape came with pointy bits at the end it was a smart little detail to add because it, it adds another level of practicality to the cape other than you know using it for hiding and it, it doesn't go as far as the gliding thing that you get, but it adds something to it. Well, that was the other time where I really didn't like Gordon. I'm just looking through my notes. This guy's building is burned down that someone had rented to use for a casino. And the guy basically is like, I'm paying protection. I don't want to look into this. And Gordon has him arrested for criminal conspiracy. The law is the law, Matt. Take him downtown. Maybe he remembers some names. Yeah, I guess. Look, I enjoy a tough as nails Jim Gordon. I I really do. I I I liked it. I want Jim to be tempered with mercy. He struts a little too close to Bill Pettit here. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That that's why you have guys like Pettit. That's why you have the cops who are hard. And it's not that I want Jim to be soft, but the quality of mercy is not strained. And I want Jim to be someone who reaches out to the people. And I feel like, you know, I might be reading too much into it. I might be more bothered by it that we rarely see Jim act like this when we're dealing with, you know, the, the upper crust of Gotham who can be shitty. But here it's like, oh, we're in Chinatown. So Jim gets to be a hard ass. That too is a good point. He, you feel like he should be punching up and not punching down. Exactly. That's, I think, what bothers me most. If we saw this and it was a bunch of, you know, rich white guys who it turned out one of them had rented a building to the mob and it was a mob casino, I don't think I'd be bothered by it. Mm. But here, good, good point. Yeah, that, that's what I think bugged me about this most. It's also 
something to note that at this point, the, the docks are just the Gotham port. They're not yet the Dixon docks because for all of his myriad of sins, I guess Chuck Dixon is not arrogant enough to name the docks after himself. That, that came after. Uh, Murphy's going to do that one of these days. Oh. <laughs> He's going to have uh, the cl- uh, climactic fight in the Murphy building. I, I can see that. And again, this might be a that Dixon was a new writer to big two superheroes at this point. I don't think he had done a lot of big two work before this, or at least not for the major, major titles, because in the 80s, he was pretty much all indie work and then started on Punisher before he moved on to those Robin miniseries, which was his first big DC work. The fact that Batman is so, uh, you know, it's obvious that uh, King Snake's dead. You don't have to, he seems to be completely like, well, you didn't see the body, but I'm sure he's dead. The minute Tim says, I didn't see the body, you should immediately be like, okay, he's not dead. How many Bat rogues have just sort of, reappeared out of nowhere because of the fact that there was no body. I have to imagine that it's be so sure that Dorrance was dead. Look, it may just be a coincidence that we're up against another white, blind martial arts master. It's a stretch of Bruce, you know, well, you know, it could be someone just using Dorrance's reputation is a decent bit of reasoning, but it's it's a stretch. Also, this guy has been fighting Raish Al Ghul for however long, right? Right? Death, death should not really mean anything to Batman, aside from Jason Todd, right? And his parents. The, oh, yeah. There are so there's always them. Tom Lyle did all three of the Robin miniseries before the ongoing, and then this, as well as some of Dixon's earliest uh, detective stories. He drew the first appearance of Spoiler, which we'll get to at some point. And he does really good body language. There's one moment at the beginning of part two, especially after they find a member of the Ghost Dragons who had snitched to them about what the Ghost Dragons were up to, where they find his body in a Robin costume in the morgue. And as Bruce is walking out of the morgue, he like flat hand, like slaps the door open in frustration. That's a really nice bit of body language to show how much this is hitting Bruce's sensitive spots. And likewise, the very last panel uh, has Tim with this very exasperated posture and pose. Like, when are you going to understand Batman that I'm not Jason Todd? And that was a good note to go in on or to go out on. I thought getting to that was a little rushed, but that note, that panel, great way to close out the story. I think Dixon takes over Detective not too long after the story. Yeah, this is September of 91. And Dixon will take over Detective in May of 92. And then be on there through November of 99. 
Jesus. And Doug Mensch is on Batman for pretty much that entire time. And Shadow of the Bat is running for most of that entire time. Again, the 90s. Our dear were... Scotsman, Alan Grant. Yes. These Bat books at this point, these creative teams were, were there for that most of that decade. Do you think they just paid them better? I don't know if it's they paid them better. It might be a generational thing that these guys were still writers who came up before image, before superstar creators, quote unquote. So they were, you know, still people who did the work because, you know, that was how you did it. You stayed on a title and you you just you did that. Now, and I mean I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a bad thing because now we have, you know, creators rights and things like that. Although, you know, I'm fairly certain that Dixon and Nolan and Mensch get a slice of bane. They get royalties, which has got to be a pretty sweet plum. Somebody in comics has to have a retirement plan. I don't know if I've told this story on this show. Yeah, this is a quote from Dixon talking to CBR. We always get a piece of what Bane makes. We'll see money from this movie. They have graphs and charts to figure out how much based on how many lines of dialogue he has and how much he's in the movie and if he has much an impact on the story. I still talk to licensing at DC. They still email me and talk to me on the phone. We're copacetic there. I can't say a bad word about DC there. They're very diligent about following up on that front. So (laughs) sounds like he's got some beef with them elsewhere. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it's also Jim Starlin in an interview said he made more money off of a handful of lines that the KGB beast had in Batman versus Superman, where they just address him by his real name. They don't call him KGB beast. He's whatever long, complicated Russian name is. He made more money on that than he has on Thanos, Gamora, and Drax in the MCU. Or John Ostrander, who did not realize that they were using Amanda Waller on Justice League Unlimited until a royalty check just appeared in his mailbox. I'm sure it's not tremendous amounts of money, but DC at least is giving some kind of participation. Unless you're Alan Moore, apparently. But you know, that's, wah, that's wah, that wah. is a whole other discussion about contracts and creators' rights that much smarter people who understand this stuff more than I do have had and said many times. Hey, look, Watchmen might be out of print one day maybe i <laughs> <laughs> of doubt it though okay i don't think i have anything else here well, that means it's time to put shadow box on the big board okay this is this isn't as high as a lonely place of dying no where do you think in relation to Son of the Demon at 116. Hmm. With the exception of Jim Gordon, everyone here is far more in character than in Son of the Demon. I'm 
much less frustrated by this than I was by Batman Harley Quinn from a couple episodes back. Yeah, that was uh, that was not good. Nope. I mean, it had it had some good points, but it also had some really not so good points. So I think this goes higher than that. But it's nowhere near as fun as Mad Men Across the Water, a few spots above that. No, no, that's uh, that's at uh, 110. Mad Men Across the Water is a trifle, but it is a really enjoyable trifle. Indeed it is. And and this is pretty trifly in its way. It doesn't affect a ton of stuff moving forward. It moves the ghost dragons into Gotham, which sets up some stuff for the Robin ongoing with Lynx and Dorans. But it doesn't affect the overall oeuvre of Batman. Well, neither does <laughs> Mad Men Across the Water, granted. Uh, where do you think of about it in relation to digital justice at 112 digital justice there's that as we have addressed that that's a a monkey astronaut story if there ever was one that is buck wild new 113 then yes yes we're gonna put this right above harley quinn because we we like a monkey astronaut here gotta respect the bravery of our monkey astronauts and yet holy terror keeps sliding down. Yeah, we'll we'll fix that someday. We will fix, we'll fix it in post. Yes. We'll fix it in post. We'll go we'll go back and edit all of the episodes where we mentioned holy terror. <laughs> and just, just move them up. Our final story of the night is a lonely place of living. This is Detective Comics, Volume 3, numbers 965 to 968. The writer is James Tiny in the fourth with pencils by Eddie Barrows and Alvaro Martinez Bueno inks by Eber Ferreira and Raul Fernandez colors by Adriano Lucas, Tamumori and Jean Francis Bolu uh, letters by Sal Cipriano edited by Chris Conroy and Andrew Marino cover date, November of 2017 to January of 2018 trapped by the mysterious Mr. Oz. Tim Drake must escape the interdimensional prison alongside his worst nightmare, a dark future version of himself who has become a murderous Batman. But returning to Gotham will not solve the problem, as this Batman will do anything to prevent his future from coming to pass. Speaking of Alan Moore and Watchmen, uh, Mr. Oz here is uh, Ozymandias, right? Is that correct? No, Mr. Oz is Jor-El. Ah, Ozymandias was the big theory for Mr. Oz. And the the hymn that he keeps referencing is Dr. Manhattan. This is all run up to Doomsday Clock, which, by the way, is another one of those stories that you're going to have to Patreon us to get us Uh, to do Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock, Three Jokers, Strikes Again, White Knight 2, White Knight 3, (laughs) (laughs) Anything White Knight... So let me let me get my central beef here out of the way, because I look people talk about Tinian's run on Detective all the time. And I think it's great. I think the story here is is great. This is a an interesting story. I'm sure you're going to have thoughts and feelings as a as a Tim Drake fan. But this is true for the entire run, the absolute entire time while he's on Detective Comics. I don't know whose fault it is. I can't fucking stand these goddamn layouts. I hate them. 
they are just the bane of my existence. And I think I owe Chuck Dixon a nickel now, but I hate them. That's it's driving the idea of two page spreads into the dirt and crushing it. I think when you want to have a two page spread, you should do so for a reason, right? Your standard comic should be one page. But if you got if you got something big, if you got something you want to do really different, give me that two page spread. Here, it's just like a lazy crutch. They're just like, let's just do a bunch of two page spreads for no reason. Let's just have a bunch of tiny panels for no reason where we try to cram in some detail. Like it's a maddening thing to try to read. It's funny. I it didn't bug me when I read these as floppies. Uh And then you get up on the iPad and you're like, God damn it, having to turn this thing constantly. Yes. The tablet experience, the digital experience with this book is infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm converting everybody one person at a time. And that's that's a style thing. That is something that creators have had to adjust to because digital is a very different beast. And I think this was probably produced at a time when they weren't thinking about the fact that the digital experience is going to be so different. I don't know if, I don't know how Tinyan writes. I don't know if the all of the, the two-page spreads were him because he writes full script or if this was Eddie Barrows. I have a feeling like it's Tinyan because both artists on the book do it. It's not just Barrows. So Tinyan, for some reason, scripted this with all of these big two-page spreads. I like Eddie Barrows. I think the work he's been doing on Task Force Z has been really strong. I've enjoyed a lot of the work he's done in the past. But the way some of these pages, those two-page spreads are laid out is confusing. Yep. I rarely have a hard time determining the proper way to read a pair of pages that are a two-page spread. But this time, I read stuff out of order because I wasn't sure how I was supposed to be reading these two page spreads. And, you know, I teach, uh, I teach news writing and feature writing to undergrads. And we talk a lot of times about paragraph length and how you got to kind of keep your paragraphs short because the eyes get lost in, in long graphs when you're writing. I think in a kind of a strange way, you have a, a, a sense of that here as your eye is trying to track across a page and continue across two pages, like, I don't know, it just feels tiresome. Especially tracking across two pages, something like occasionally three times, three rows of two-page panels, like, man. Yes, the layouts here are absolutely a problem. So pin this discussion, and uh, and we'll, we'll come up with a short form of it. Uh, next time we take up some of this detective run, which again, I, I think the story here is great. I love Batwoman and Clayface and the whole team here. I think it's an interesting ass story. I have no idea why Tinian stuck with these layouts through the whole thing. Like I remember trying to read the beginning of this run and thinking, 
fuck me, this is exhausting. And here we are at the very end of it. You know, fall of the Batman is what comes next, right? And that yeah. concludes his run, right? Yep. Yeah, we're right. We're right near the end here. And so this is not just a problem in this story. It's throughout. Yeah. But to the actual story here, this is Tim's Dark Knight of the Soul. This is Tim having to confront the fact that he has been a superhero for so long and that he's not sure if he has a way out. Because he set up this whole Gotham Knights program, this you know way for Batman to build a team so Batman always has the support system so he can go and try to live a life and try to help people in a different way. And what he is confronted with is his worst nightmare, him as the worst kind of Batman. And this Tim is still only partially restored from all of those changes made by the New 52. Rebirth has, as we see from the beginning of this, has given him his original origin back. Tim is that Tim again. Uh, in a nice touch, uh, they origin verbatim. Yes, yes. They pretty much use those pages swapped out as a two-page spread. But we do see that he doesn't have everything back because this Bat-Tim, as I address him in my notes, this is the Bat-Tim from a story called Titans Tomorrow from Jeff John's run on uh, Teen Titans. He's basically that Tim Drake Batman a little further down his timeline. But that Tim Drake has a best friend, Connor Kent. And here, when he mentions Connor, Tim's response is who the hell is Connor? So Tim is not fully restored yet. And he won't, that bit won't be restored for quite some time until the young justice ongoing brings Connor back into the, the timeline. I do like with this story as it revisits that origin. You know, when I said verbatim, like I meant literally verbatim, the lines of dialogue are the same. And I thought that was just a really thoughtful thing to do. It's one of those cases of you don't screw with perfection. No. Because it, it, it worked then. And so you just, it works now. Uh, of course, what doesn't work and which just becomes more apparent and when you see it in the the, the modern setting uh, is the whole Robin timeline. Yeah, it, that's just sort of always going to be a problem. Yeah, I, I like pointing it out because it's so absurd. You know, Batman, I think in Rebirth, in our modern era, what he's been Batman for, we'll say 10 years. I think I know, I know Rebirth had put it at five, which just makes it even crazier. The New 52 had it at five. That was, uh, yeah, New disaster. 52 had it at five. Yeah. I think we're closer to 15 years at this point in the, the way it's it's set now. This is a Batman who's got to be longer. I think this, I have a way of, you know, by the ages of the Robins. You can age Batman. If you assume Batman returned to Gotham at 21, Batman is probably in his very early 40s at this point. It's probably been about 20 years. 
you cut Batman in half and count the Robins. You figure out how old he is. <laughs> yes. Because, I mean, Damien has aged three years since his first appearance. He's 13 canonically right now, and he was 10 when he first appeared. Tim is about 18 now, and he was 13 when he first appeared. So it's been five years of that. Then Dick, yeah, we can't. It, it, this way lies madness. <laughs> this way lies madness. Go on, Matt. Do it. Take the plunge. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll record a seven-hour podcast. We'll, we'll talk about this until we're delirious in the middle of the night. And then, only then, may you give up. Yeah, yeah no, that, that, that's, that's bonus content. That is bonus content. Matt determines how old Bruce Wayne actually is. Using calculus. Yes. Bat Tim is a really strong antagonist for this story because he is every character's nightmare. He's Tim's nightmare because Tim doesn't want to grow up to be Batman. He's Batman's nightmare because Tim being this way means Bruce failed him. And as he points out here, as Bat Tim says at one point or another, you're worried Batman is a curse and uses that to basically sucker punch Bruce. Fortunately, it will be this will be dropping three weeks from today. So we're out of reasonable spoiler territory. Uh, have you read this week's issue of Batman yet, Will? No, I have not, but uh, I got to read it soon here for the print column. So there's a moment there where I won't give you the context, but where Batman in defiance to something. And, and this feels like Zdarsky having played a, not a long game because it was just last issue, but setting something up last issue that riled people and then directly countering it this issue intentionally. Batman says he's not a soldier. He's my son in regards to Tim. And we see that here when Bruce finds Tim alive in the hospital. The hospital he owns. <laughs> I'm Bruce Wayne. Uh, I'm his guardian. I own the hospital. Get the fuck out. Yeah. He just, he embraces his son. He embraces the person he missed. And I, that's a really great moment. And there's a lot of great Tim moments here. The moment where he meets Luke Fox and the two of them geek out over tech is a ton of fun. Man, I lost three computers trying to break into your system. Yes. The moment where Bat Tim arrives at the manor and sees Alfred. You know, you don't think you can feel bad for Bat Tim because he's a homicidal maniac. You see flash forwards where he kills anarchy. You see that he is almost gleefully willing to kill Batwoman. But he sees Alfred and he breaks down and Alfred embraces him and he seems to be coming asking for permission to kill Kate from Alfred, which he never would get. Yeah, if uh, if I had to do something horrible to save us from this, uh, something even more horrible, should I do it? This is a character that you can feel for, but certainly you have questions, right? 
you know, he uses the gun that he sort of scavenged from the killing of Thomas and Martha, right? Yeah. Are you are you doing that to justify it, right? Are are you trying to make some kind of statement? Are you trying to give yourself permission to use a uh, use a gun? Are you trying to make up for a failing, uh, a shortfall that you you could not be as physically you know, capable as Batman. So you get a bunch of questions there, but I think ultimately you, you still can feel for this character and you can understand the decisions that he makes because I always like to bring it back to Star Trek, the future version of Riker in uh, parallels where uh, the, the Federation loses at Wolf 359 and he's on an enterprise that's failing. The Borg are everywhere. He says, I'm not going back. I'll kill everybody, but I'm not going back. You know, yeah, you can understand where he's coming from. Yeah. Also, Tanya knows how to do an Easter egg, which I like a lot. When Alfred is in the greenhouse where Bat Tim meets him, the rose bushes are blue. They're the Pennyworth blues, the roses that Bruce gives to Jezebel Jet during the Morrison run that he says are, you know, only cultivated by his butler nice doesn't call it out doesn't make a big deal of it but if you know your your bad history it's like oh those are pennyworth blues you see tom king you don't have to throw creator names on everything to show how smart you are in the end when tim and bat tim are having their final confrontation tim stands up and tim he knows there's a cost to being a hero but it's worth it And it doesn't mean you have to be lonely. You can be a full person. And that's Tim's journey in this series. Tim starts this series thinking about leaving. And in the end, he does. The final arc ends with Tim going to try to find out why he has gaps in his memory. But he's going out into the world with Stephanie. He he makes the decision for himself there there's a lot in here i mean we've barely talked about the knights we've barely talked about the use of brother i Go, doing this out of order does give us some problems because we don't we haven't discussed you know who most of the the knights are and how they factor in much about the colony or uh ulysses hadrian armstrong the general who shows up at the beginning of part four to set the stage for fall of the batman but for all of those trappings, at its heart, this is a story about Tim coming back and having to confront the thing he fears most and then triumphing over it in the end. It's a good story that would do from more clear art. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and again, that's that's just my central beef with this whole damn thing, and uh, it's it's one reason why I politely request that we not put Tinian's run on the kind of the regular rotation with uh, Injustice and uh, Morrison's run because man, if I got to read a set of these every two or three months, I'm going to go crazy. We we will get to it at, at different intervals, but I don't have any plans. We've still got Morrison, we've still got No Man's Land, and we've still got Injustice to make our way through. So we we have plenty of time before we get anything else that is making it into the standard rotation. 
Oh, good, good. And one of these days we got to do Batman Ninja Turtles. I yes. think uh, uh, Tinian's other sizable contribution to uh, Bat lore. Absolutely. And of course, Joker. Yes, yes. We but that goes without saying. Yeah, we will have a Joker episode. Definitely. And a new entry in the top 10. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's yeah, that, that's yeah, that's got to go up there. That, that, it's good. Uh, did you see that they released a trade collecting all of the punchline backups that I didn't read? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Just in time <laughs> for the uh, the new punchline miniseries. Bleah. And the fact that she is standing at Lex Luthor's right hand with his Legion of Doom now. Boo. Oh, but yeah, uh, I think that now that we're wandering into Tiny's uh, other stuff, I think it's time. It is time to put a lonely place of living on the big board. As frustrating as the layouts are, this falls somewhere in between Shadow Box and Lonely Place of Dying. Closer to yep. Shadow Box than Lonely Place of Dying. I was kind of thinking the other other way around because really? all right. So right now we've got uh Shadowbox at 113. Okay. And Lonely Place of Dying at 34. I I kind of like this as like a top 65. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that necessarily. I was there was a defer to your frustration and you're now having reread it completely understandable frustration with the art here but i i think this is an incredibly strong story i think this is one of the three or four best arcs of tinyan's pretty long run on tech up there with the first arc and the clayface origin annual all right all right here's here's one half an evil at 61 smashing grab harvey (laughs) <laughs> this is definitely better than Batman the Spirit below that, which is a, yep. the probably the highest trifle that we have on this list, but it's a Darwin Cook drawn trifle. Yeah. So it's it's very hard to put anything Darwin Cook lower than that. Actually, no, the, the highest trifle is uh, 58, Where Were You the Night Batman Was Killed, which is just a friggin' delight. I I don't think we can put this above Nightfall Part 2 at 57. No. I'm thinking 59. Because I think for the fact that it is a trifle, Where Were You the Night Batman Was Killed shows that you just how much fun you can have with a Batman story that is not an intentionally all-ages story, but is an incontinuity batman story but is still just so wacky and so fun but i think it's better than that batman the long halloween special at 59 agreed 59 the new 59 it is is the new keyboard ladder i hope it is a little bit i I definitely i'm definitely hearing it more thanks corsair oh wait wait strike that no free rides yeah exactly sponsor us Answer us. Keep me rolling and uh, mechanical keyboards, whoever you are. See, folks, your Patreon dollars at work. Getting Will a new keyboard. So that looks like it 
for tonight. Next week, it's time for three stories by one of the definitive Batman writers of the aughts and a writer that we've only covered here in relation to Catwoman before. But now we're getting some more Batman stories from Ed Brubaker. Oh, the good shit. Yeah. Can't um, wait. Yep. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers. Dan Grote, June, Conduit of Outdated Joke Names. June, come on. Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum. <laughs> Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, Christian Smith, and John Wickham for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and on ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.